0: now, David Fiorazzo. Good
1: morning, brothers and sisters, friends in Christ. We thank you so much for tuning in. We are going to talk about the domino effect of the COVID 19 shutdown on the world, on the economy, on American businesses, and maybe even we'll talk about churches with our guest, John Haller. But let's open up in prayer. Lord God, uh, please give us wisdom today and every day. We need you. Uh, we need you to uh, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit so that we might be able to um, persevere, Father. And this is nothing that's surprising you or catching you off guard. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that these are opportunities in these dire times in our country and in the world that we can point people to the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And we ask, Lord, you've given us creative ways to do it. <laughs> um, we ask that we would be obedient and faithful to do what you've called us to do, and that we would bear fruit that will last. Uh, We ask also for discernment in these times, Lord. We pray that you'd bring your church, your people, back to you, Lord, that we would repent, stop doing uh, American church, and uh, get back to biblical Christianity, and uh, bring us to our knees, Lord. It appears that you are doing that in many ways, but we also ask for your mercy on this country, on us, and I know you're giving us time uh, that we're still here to reach others. Uh, We love you, and we thank you for being our rock, our stability, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So thankful to have our brother in Christ on again, John Haller. He does a phenomenal prophecy update, and uh, we thank you for your ministry, John. Thank you for being back on Standard for the Truth.
2: Glad to be here.
1: All right, well, let's. uh, I don't know if you wanted to jump into uh, Noah, the days of Noah, Matthew 24, but some interesting headlines coming out on how governors are reacting and how what's being said about the coronavirus, how the power grabs that state governors are taking, uh, some in states that the virus has not really affected dramatically, and they are locking down their state and uh, they're holding to that. Um, Others, like uh, Cuomo in New York, says our behavior has stopped the spread of the virus. God does not stop the spread of the virus. Anyway, interesting times we're living in, and... Um, I'd just love for you to just share your thoughts off the top before we get into some specifics.
2: Well, it certainly is a very strange time (laughs) Uh, with, um, you know, driving around. Uh, I do go out a little bit every day to just pick up a few things, make sure we're stocked up. And it's, uh, you know, the the grocery stores, uh, you know, you have to get in line to get into the grocery store. It's like going to Disney World now. (laughs) <laughs> and um it's uh we I without the wristband so far. Yes. Um you know, yeah, everybody goes to Disney World and uses a wristband and nobody thinks a thing about it. Well that's that's a great way to get in and I don't have to carry my wallet around and it's not gonna fall out on Space Mountain or whatever. But uh now it's now it's come to grocery stores and it's it's sort of strange behavior. The other day I was in the grocery store and I'm coming down the aisle and there are two women there talking. And uh, they have the aisle blocks, so I just kind of squeezed through. And they looked at me like I'd committed some kind of capital offense. Um, and I'm like, it's an aisle, not a conversation pit, uh, is what I thought mm-hmm. uh, when I, they, I got the dirty look shot at me. sometimes if you just happen to get too close to people, some of them will really look at you like, "What's wrong with you, man? Don't you understand? And you're going to kill me?" And so we've had <coughs> we had this just incredibly strange set of circumstances as to how people are interacting with you, with each other now.
1: Um, um, go ahead.
2: Well, and look, I, I'm probably not the best person to, to discuss this particular topic because, you know, I've sort of been in that phase of my career where I'm sort of transitioning to retirement. And uh, frankly, the, the thing has not had a huge impact on me personally. <laughs> the uh, You know, I'm at home more, um, which may or may not be a good thing for my wife. Um, uh, <laughs> we're actually eating better. We're eating more cheaply because uh, we're cooking more things at home. Uh, but I also know that, um, man, this is having uh, an incredible economic impact on people, and people are really suffering i saw the unemployment stats for last week another 5.5 million claims filed in the united states that brings it to 22 wow. million people over five over the last four Wow. over the last month wow. and that number's that number's certainly going to go higher and economists that i've seen when, when it never hit about 16 million uh last week they said that you know they expected it to double or triple before we hit bottom so, I I fully understand um, the I think growing cries to outrage for people to you know shut stop the lockdowns shut down the shut down the lockdowns and get back to work and I and I fully support that. Look, I I know my firm. Um, as uh, we just laid off a few people this week, I see large law firms, some of the most profitable law firms in the world, uh, particularly in London, that are cutting their partner draws from anywhere from 50 to 100%. We're wow. partners they may, they may not get another draw. Wow. There's a firm called Slaughter and May. Maybe the most profitable law firm in the world, I want you to understand, is, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not, I don't know if I've made this much in my entire career. Last year, their uh, partner profits were 2.9 million pounds per partner wow. <laughs> on average. They have completely shut down partner draws, though. So this is affecting a broad swath of, of uh, society. Um, and, and so the economic fallout, you know, and, and so then the balance has to be how do you balance the health risk against the economic risk? And I'll be honest with you, I've studied it, I've read a lot, I watch you know, the daily updates, I read a lot of foreign newspapers, and this is something that every, every person in the world is struggling with.
1: Uh, Hey, John, um, I've got to uh, interrupt here. We've got to reconnect with you. We don't have a good uh, cell connection or or something's going on, it sounds like. We're going to have Spike call you back on the landline, but in the meantime, I'm going to share a little bit about this article that I found uh, very fascinating, and when we connect with John in a couple seconds, we will get his take on this. The headline is, Digital Worship May Create America's Next Spiritual Awakening. Digital worship, and um, very interesting. Um, Some people see a lot of positives during this time. I think uh, we tend to look through rose-colored glasses, though, in some cases. But um, I'll get John's take on this. John, are you there? Yeah, I am. Okay, so I just pulled up this article. um, I believe it's from Pastor Greg Laurie. I want to get your take. Before we get into some of the heavy stuff, and we will talk about the economy, I wanted to ask you about the food chain uh, food supply, that you made some amazing connections in your Sunday's Prophecy update, which I really appreciated, and some very heavy, potentially uh, disheartening information uh, that you put together, whether uh, it's the, the airline industry, travel industry, tourism as a whole. But let me ask you about this. Digital worship may create America's next spiritual awakening. I'm not that optimistic, but Pastor Greg Laurie said, they, since they've been broadcasting online, more millennials and, I guess, Generation Z are tuning in online because they're home, they're not distracted, they're, they're glued to their phones and computers anyway. So he, a millennial friend wrote this. We touch our phones 2,617 times a day, and 84% say they can't go a single day without their phone. Most people under 30 can't even remember a world before cell phones. Perhaps this is why some psychologists refer to millennials as Generation Panic. And so now, uh, he says more people are tuning in online, of course, to church services, because now they're thinking, well, you know, maybe I should uh, start seeking God. And Pastor Greg Laurie says a lot of people after the the end of the church services are coming to Christ. Now, I'm not even going to give the number because it's... Okay, he said over the last four weeks, 31,000 have responded. Now... We know from past crusades and past history in the country, a majority of those are not true conversions. They're in the heat of the moment, emotion or whatever. Just want to get your thoughts on that. The headline, Digital Worship May Create America's Next Spiritual Awakening. I think it's going to take more than that, but John, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, we had the recent experience of 9-11, And as you recall, uh, at 9-11, it was said there's going to be a great spiritual awakening. And once the initial shock passed, um, whatever spike was seen in people showing up at church lasted maybe a month. So I I know in crusades, uh, some of the statistics that I've seen show that, you know, of the people that maybe go forward at a crusade, Maybe ten percent, five or ten percent of those are actually what we would term true converts.
1: If that, yeah, that
2: that stick with it. So it 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 may even be as low as two percent. So um, you know, I'm not optimistic. I I don't see any promise in Scripture of a great um, awakening, except in certain time periods. I don't know that we're at that time period yet. So I'm. I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm sort of a, a pathologist in some respects in that I always look for the things that are going wrong, <laughs> and um, so I, I, I'm i just not, I hope that this is the case, I pray that this is the mm-hmm. case. Uh, at our little church, we've seen a spike in in people uh, contacting us, <coughs> there's a, you know, and there is, a, a lot of people are hurting, a
3: mm-hmm. lot of people yes. are really
2: hurting during this time. So. John and the thing that's sad is that you know when you when you get to the people who are suffering from the disease or people are in the hospital for some other condition because the hospitals are limiting contact or you have a parent uh in a nursing home they're limiting contact mm-hmm. and so these these people are dying alone they're suffering through illnesses alone without family members it's I mean this 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 is really unlike anything that we've ever seen even in mm-hmm uh past, you know, virus outbreaks and that sort of thing. This one is there's something very different about this one. And I know that a lot of people think, well, it's just all agenda driven, but some of the you know, I I'm sort of the view, maybe my view is a little contrary. And I actually think it's a problem. Um but I also understand that the economic fallout from what's going on is uh, it's, a, it's a carnage, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that a little bit more. So, and I don't know what the early answer is, to be honest with you.
1: Okay, well, we can get information, we can talk about facts, we can speculate, we can look to Bible prophecy. One thing I want to ask you, Christians are on both sides of this debate over the, the uh, issuance of governors' orders regarding our rights to assemble, to fellowship. There's a um, um, Rally North Carolina, held a protest yesterday, Lansing, I believe, the state capital in Michigan, because, I mean, that governor, talk about power grab or overreach, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that, because some governors are really taking this to an extreme, and some of the states are not impacted like others, and so Christians are really struggling with, with this, whether it's getting out in public and getting back to work, or when can we assemble at church again? What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, you know, I do think that uh, we're sort of bumping up against the unconstitutional line, at least. <laughs> the one thing that I, I guess I'm more concerned about is that um, a lot of people are taking this, taking their view about things and how it should be responded to, and sort of adding that to the uh, art, uh, the statement of faith that you have to adhere to to be holy in their sight, uh, whether that's, you know, somebody railing against... Um, you know, if you're not holding church, you're sinning, and that type of thing. To the other side, too, that if you're uh, holding or not holding church, or you, you're you're claiming that you need to hold church and everybody should just go out and about, then you're not compassionate towards people who might be at greater risk. <laughs> and so, what I see is a lot of um, virtue signaling on both sides of
1: mm-hmm. it. Yes, we do. <laughs> and It's sad when it comes to that.
2: Yeah, and and I don't, you know. I have my view, but uh, again, I'm not dogmatic about it. I kind of look at the facts. You know, I look at, by nature, for 40 years I've been a trial lawyer. So I kind of take facts and I try to piece them together. And there's some things that I see with this particular virus that I don't see. If, I, if you make an apples-to-apples comparison, there's some things that are very different about it. Um, and it's... It, look, all I know is it's a mess because the health care system is largely shut down just other than to take care of this. There's massive outbreaks of this in nursing homes. Uh, there was a nursing home in New Jersey yesterday where they found uh, uh, 17 bodies oh, in no. a storage shed. Oh, my um,
1: goodness.
2: Uh, the the farthest north county in New Jersey um you know, so I, North Jersey. And, and I will only say is that, you know, we always want to say that, well, it's not as bad as the regular flu or other things. I don't remember, my mother lived in a nursing home for, you know, eight, the last eight years of her life. And people died there all the time. A number of her roommates died and she eventually herself passed away. But, um, I don't remember them finding seventeen bodies in a storage shed at a, outside a nursing home during a flu outbreak. Mm. Now, some of those may not have died of COVID nineteen. Right. Entirely it's, it's true. Oh, let me give you an example. So, in New York City, two two statistics. Um, and and so New York City, you know, in some of the places where there's an outbreak, I'll acknowledge those may be an outlier. But in New York City, the average in home. Deaths per day in the city was 20 to 25 people for a long, long time. Um, about a month ago, it went to about 10 times or more that number every day. Hmm. Um, others, and so you can say, well, people uh, that used to go to the hospital and die there were not doing, but there was a spike, and then they, they did they published a thing uh, the other day for through the month for 30 days ending April 4th. The number of daily deaths in New York were twice what they were normally. The only other spike that they had of significance in that time was nine eleven you know when about three thousand people died in New York City in one day so now we're um, they're having sort of like a <coughs> um, like a nine eleven type thing in a month or. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it, I could say 9/11 every day, but certainly something is different. Something, something strange is going on uh, in causing things. I have a friend, a long, long-time friend, who sells truck trailers. Um, I asked him how business was, and he said, "Well, I'm selling a lot of reefer refrigerated units to hospitals." Well, when the hospitals were shut down. Um, they're not buying those or leasing those reefer units for food storage um, and so and so they and they may not need them you know it doesn't appear that this is breaking out as bad as it looked in the future so I think it's a when I look at it from a public policy issue I think it's probably the most difficult issue to deal with that I've ever seen in terms of you know impact on liberty, constitutional rights, economics, health care, public policy. So I think a lot of political careers are going to end after this. Uh, I think people have sort of reached their limit. Mm, and yes. you're going to see increasing protests. But, um, you know, so we can argue about the extent of the virus, whether the numbers are all made up. I think in some cases they're overcounting COVID-19 deaths, but then again, they have a lot of people dying in home, home because they're not getting to the hospital, and I, and I'm just watching stories of you know interviews with uh, EMS uh, first responders in New York and New Jersey, and the stories they're telling, they're, they're like, I was at 9/11, and this is like 9/11 day after day after day after day yeah. for me in terms of what we're dealing with. So, I think you shouldn't be too dismissive of what's what's going on on the ground but then you certainly on the other side so even if you think it's a problem like i do i also think it's a huge problem that people are taking advantage of this thing we have all the people who have all their various agenda Mm -hmm. uh globalists uh people who want to vaccinate the world (laughs) uh you know google and apple joining together to develop a tracking app um, yikes which has already been implemented Mm -hmm. apps like this have already been implemented in many places. Uh, and things are changing on the ground. Everybody says, well, Singapore, look how good Singapore did. Well, they've imposed a tremendous amount of restrictions recently because of a second wave of the outbreak of the virus. Uh, Japan just this morning declared a national emergency for the entire country because of this. Mm. So, um, you know the, the, these are unusual things. And so I know there's a theory that this was all done just to get Trump and listen, bad people that are going to take political advantage of it. And certainly, you know, if you look at the New York Times, the Washington Post, MSNBC,
1: The usual culprits?
2: Uh, you know, it's just a constant harangue that this is all Donald Trump's fault. Uh, and He's just a little dictator and propaganda. And that type of thing. And I think, you know, there probably were some of the steps that were made by uh, the Trump administration uh, to get uh, sort of on the same page about things and, and develop a plan. But now nobody likes the plan. So, I you mean, know, I think a lot of people who uh, love liberty, love their. <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> the, uh, the pioneers just off the charts.
1: Hey, John, we have to take a break anyway, though. Uh, we've got to come back and talk about some stats. And I'm looking at, for example, I'm looking at the deaths in Wyoming, 2, um, North, North Dakota, 9, uh, Montana, 7, West Virginia, 12, um, Nebraska, 21, uh, and I know these are smaller states, South Dakota, 6, and then you go up to New York City and New York and New Jersey. Of course, uh, New York has 11,000, 500 plus deaths so we know parts of the country are hit much harder we're going to talk about that we're going to ask if this can be compared to other viruses we can look back to the 1968 69 hong kong flu look at some of those numbers in this same time frame ours is that comparable is that apples to apples and we'll come back and talk a whole lot more with john haller on stand up for the truth
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're on with John Haller. He has a
1: weekly prophecy update. I highly recommend it. We will link his YouTube channel to today's podcast notes at StandUpForTheTruth.com. And we were talking about some stats before we took a break there, and we're looking at um, Alabama, 126 deaths due to coronavirus, Um, Utah 20, D.C. 72. Uh, Then we go to uh, Maryland, 349, Washington State, 567. They had that massive problem with the uh, um, retirement centers there, Um, nursing homes. Connecticut, 868. Then we jump. To New Jersey, which is three thousand one hundred plus New York City, eleven thousand five hundred plus. So, John, there are a lot of places in this country that are saying, "We understand this is serious. Let's take care of the elderly and the most vulnerable, and those with other conditions that might make them uh, more vulnerable." But for the rest of us, we are not working, and we we, the the economy is tanking. So. and then you talk about grocery stores, Walmart, Home Depot, a quick trip, gas stations. All these places are open. People are going in, and I, I even hear they're not always concerned about social distancing, not that they're doing anything on purpose. They're certainly not six feet apart, and we're you know exchanging money, we're doing all this. And other people, I can imagine someone with a small business that had to just lay people off and close the doors for a month saying, What's going on? How come they get to so? The, then there's a problem with the essential versus non-essential businesses. Like, I apparently abortion um, centers, abortion mills are essential, uh, medical, right? John, give us but some. Churches aren't. Yeah, but churches aren't, of course. Um, so before we get into some other uh, topics regarding the world economy and uh, just. What do you tell people that are saying my business is almost gone? I don't know how much longer I can hang on. Other people are operating out in public just fine, and in, in more than seventy percent of the country, what are we doing, and how long is this going to be?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good question. So I've tried to study this, uh, and by no means we're we're sort of all amateur epidemiologists now, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know arguing about numbers and stats and that sort of thing. So I the one a couple articles that I saw that were pretty good that assuming that this virus is a real thing, which I do, that you could um the 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 one concept that I think a lot of people miss is viral load. So if you're in a rural area, you're going to be in touch with fewer people, but if you're in a basketball game, you're going to get exposed to more of it and likely to be sicker and bigger problem that's like when it breaks out in a nursing home mm-hmm. they're in close quarters and everybody gets it and everybody's passing it and the, that's why maybe the people are getting sicker of course the elderly seem to be hit harder with this so there's that concept of viral load so you know, when you look at like resuming sporting events um, everybody's talking about it and let's have a let's have a baseball season so there's a good article in sports illustrated sports illustrated talking about this, so I guess, well, what else is there to talk about because there's no <laughs> sports taking place, right? But you know, they're, they're looking at, um, if, if they just did a season with the baseball teams, quarantined in Arizona, that's fine. But what happens if one player on one team suddenly tests positive? Does that team get shut out of uh, playing at all? Because now the whole team is exposed and the team they were playing may be exposed. <laughs> and that's baseball. How are you going to have football where guys are grabbing each other and you know <laughs> falling to the ground or like college wrestling? I wrestled yeah. in high school and college. There's no way to make that a non-contact sport. So it, I think it's just a very difficult question. And I know I see the comparisons like heart disease is worse, but you coughing or breathing on me doesn't give me heart disease. It can give me the coronavirus. So that I think that needs to factor into the equation. I don't know what the answer is. I do think that whatever comes out of this will be a new normal, not what we had two months ago. Um, and because I think people are going to be, I think people are going to be cautious. I, you know, you could say fearful, but I would say people are going to be cautious for a while
3: mm-hmm.
2: until we see how this breaks out. So Sweden didn't really shut down. Uh, for the most part, and so it's not going very well in Sweden. Their death rate from the virus is about nine times higher than Finland, which did shut down. Uh, if you look at some past epidemiological uh, results of past outbreaks, for example, there was a good article in the Wall Street Journal last Saturday, I think it was. I cited it in my thing Sunday. And, of course, as soon as they cite the Wall Street Journal, somebody says, oh, you're just citing the leftist, elitist establishment view of the world. And so it, and so this is the problem too is, and I'm not so sure there's not some kind of backstory that bad co- countries are causing us to not believe anything. And this is a big problem that I see. People are uh, and I, I agree, challenge the narrative, find out what the facts are, but I find people that they just don't believe anything that you tell them. That doesn't fit with their narrative. And if I'm a trial lawyer, I always tell my young trial lawyers, don't you dare just believe what your client tells you. You need to examine all of the facts. Look at both sides of the story. So I see a lot of this going on, and I just see, Matt, I really do see mass confusion. Yes, And it does set up the world from a prophetic standpoint. I do not think the world has ever been in a better position to, follow after someone who has the solution hmm. to something. And so that's where I see sort of Bible prophecy coming into play with us. So of course, we also have people who want to act their globalist agenda. Um, I told somebody, I think I did an interview yesterday, and I said, it's cold here in Ohio. It, it may snow tomorrow. It was sleeting and snowing while I was eating my dinner last night in <laughs> mid-April in Ohio. And I'm like, I want everybody to get back to work. I want them driving their big, you know, carbon spewing, uh, uh, carbon dioxide spewing SUVs and everything and bring back global warming so I can go play golf or something. Um, Because, uh, but this is the world that Greta Thunberg wants. This Mm -hmm. is the world that Bernie Sanders wants that we have now. This everything shut down. you know, the pollution levels have fallen all over the world, but nobody's working. Everybody's suffering because they're not working. And so it's exposing the lives of the green agenda wow, on one good hand. Point. But it's – so let's talk about the economy for a second, for a little bit. Uh, my view is China was the leading industrial producer in the world. They shut down in January for 75 days. They have reopened a bit. But the word yesterday was they're shutting their plants down again. Why? Because nobody is buying their stuff. Hmm. Because everybody's shut down. So they're getting hit with a big economic boomerang. And so my view is that when – and there's a lot of analysts that – and again, given my personality, I probably lean more towards the bearish side of things uh, because I believe the economy – For all the touting that it was this greatest economy ever and all this type of thing, when you look back behind the numbers, it was a bubble that was way beyond the bubble that burst back in 2007 to 2009. We were in a hyper bubble, and a trigger event was going to take place and crash the world economy. It has certainly been exacerbated by all the shutdowns everywhere. But I think most of what we're seeing economically was going to take place anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And now what I see is I see the Fed coming in. And and what the Fed took 18 months to do in the 2007 to 2009 um, economic downturn, they're doing in a month and, and many times more than they did back in, that won 10, 10 or 11 years ago. They're buying everything. And, um, you know, but the only thing they have in is small municipal bonds yet. And eventually the, the Fed's going to own everything. So the economic outlook, I think, is uh, in the near term very dire all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the oil prices have collapsed. They did have a big agreement with OPEC in the U.S. and what they call OPEC Plus and other petroleum exporting countries to cut production after many – they had an oil price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. They wanted to fight for market share when the demand in China cratered by 40 to 50% almost overnight. So they – that – created a uh, oversupply. They wanted to protect their market share. That caused the price to go down, just cascade down to levels we haven't seen in 30 years. Now they've entered into an agreement to cut production worldwide by roughly 10 million barrels per day. World de- Oil demand was, before this started, 100 million barrels per day. They've cut it by 10. The problem is, world oil demand now is at 70 million barrels per day and dropping and so within a couple of weeks all oil storage facilities in the world will be full all strategic reserves will be full wow. they currently have massive these you know these huge 1200 foot long oil tankers anchored off the coast of Europe because there's no place to store it it's reached the point where there's some crude oils in the pricing. Uh, some require more refining. So you want like bread crude or West Texas. Those are you know a little bit easier to refine. You get something with high sulfur like Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming sulfur crude was trading recently below zero. Mm. Other crudes were down in the $1 or $2, $3 per barrel range. This is, this is something we've never seen before, and to the extent that a Goldman Sachs report analyzed it and came out that uh, the cost of shutting down the well is, you know, pretty, it's pretty expensive to shut a well down. That in places where it's hard, harder, the pipelines are full. They can't put oil in the pipeline. So rather than spend the money to shut it down, it would be cheaper for them to pay somebody to take it away which means that the price of oil has now gone negative Wow and this is and so this has a cascading effect through the economy and um, as someone who represents people banks and others in connection with commercial real estate, the numbers I'm getting there are that commercial real estate values uh, are expected to drop about 40 percent in the near term and Wow. now. Commercial, like Cheesecake Factory, a very successful restaurant chain. I don't know how many. They have probably, I would guess, close to 100 across the country. They told their landlords, hey, we're not paying you. Rent anywhere. And so now you have this battle going on between, you know, commercial malls uh, and other landlords and their tenants who aren't paying. Yep. And
3: the
1: domino <laughs> in effect. Ohio,
2: yeah. they shut down evictions for 90 days evictions yeah evictions and foreclosures so if you know somebody comes to me a bank comes to me and says could you foreclose on this property i'm like yeah i can file the case but nothing's going to happen for 60 90 days at least and all the things already in the pipeline are going to take priority over you so even sales that were scheduled like in cleveland which has had a huge foreclosure crisis over the years i mean they Back in the, uh, the last crisis, they hired 13 magistrates just to handle foreclosures in one county. Thirteen people, that's all they did from the judge side. So all those things in the pipeline have been stopped. And so it's going to take a while for this to cycle out. So, I, I, and again, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know commercial landlords have been approached by people and say, I have a 10,000 square foot of space. My people are working at home. They're doing okay. I only want a thousand. I'm never paying you another dime of rent on that lease. If you're interested in leasing me a thousand square feet at a reduced rate, I'll talk to you. Uh, if not, I'll, I'm sure I'll find somebody that will. And so, you know, I drive by these office buildings close to me, and there's just there's nobody in the parking lots. Wow. Everybody's working at home.
1: Amazing.
2: And so it just, there's this cascade effect. Now, again, I think a lot of it could be traced to the China shutdown. It's made worse by the localized lockdowns. And I agree with you, a lot of these lockdowns do not make any sense. Uh,
1: You mean in different parts of the country?
2: uh, Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the one thing I, you know, Ohio's pretty, Ohio has been, we've locked down. But the governor did put in his lockdown order that uh, exercise of First Amendment rights was accepted. It was not, a, was a, was not under the lockdown rules. Oh. So, uh, and that was in bold type. But, you know, then, so as an elder at a church, we have to make a decision, do we meet or not?
1: Yes, um, I, I understand that.
2: We have a, We have older people, and, you know, we don't want to and people who've been, you know, under cancer treatment and stuff like that. So we just decided we're going to meet online for now, and we are communicating in the background with other things and reaching out to people and making sure everybody's okay. But, you know, look, I I do also know that there's a scripture admonition, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially especially as you see the day approaching. Mm Mm-hmm. And so here we're seeing the day approaching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're not assembling physically together. Um, it's, you know, I sit here and I just scratch my head sometimes, and it's like, I, I don't know what the answer to any of this stuff is. Yeah, well,
1: it's good to talk about these things. John Haller, we've got to take another break, but when we come back, uh, some of the numbers we talked about, I just looked at the deaths in Wisconsin 182, South Carolina, 107. Uh, Mississippi 122, and then I went over to the Washington Times, and they've got something about uh, info that the Johns Hopkins University of Medicine uh, put out, their coronavirus resource center, 22,000 deaths due to COVID-19 in America. Now, the current population is just over 330 million. Do the math. That means 0.17% of Americans' population have been infected by the coronavirus, that means .007% of the population has died. From the coronavirus, if these numbers
0: are accurate, we'll talk about that when we come back with John Haller. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth slash podcast. Now back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: We're with John Haller, and uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. So let's get right into this possible comparison. And John, you tell me if this is something that we can do apples to apples at this same juncture, approximately. During the Hong Kong flu, which goes back to 1968-69, it was estimated that there were over 350,000 fatalities globally. In the United States, there were approximately 40,000 deaths. Okay, Eventually over a million throughout the world, it is thought, and eventually about 100,000 in the United States died. That was uh 69 the Hong Kong flu. Is this re- even remotely compatible or comparable,
2: I should say? Well, we're only a few months into it, so I guess the answer would be uh, when we have high, complete hindsight. That will be 2020. I'll cite this article from the um, Wall Street Journal: 2009 H1N1 influenza pandemic uh, in 102 days. CDC reported. Now I know the media. So you can not trust the CDC, yet people cite the CDC stats on Hong Kong flu and regular flu. Mm-hmm. The seasonal flu. So let's just assume we have a number: three hundred and two deaths in one hundred and two days from H1N1. That's I think the swine flu.
1: That was about ten years uh, ago.
2: In twenty-two fewer days, this is written a week ago. There were eleven times as many people uh, that were infected and sixty times the amount dead in the same in twenty less days with COVID nineteen. So that would seem to indicate that COVID nineteen is maybe a little bit worse. But we also have to acknowledge. The vast, vast majority of people recover. Um
3: mm, you know, good we point. We don't know
2: exactly what the death rate is or is going to be. Um, it just – and it, and look, I'll acknowledge hospitals go to hospitals that are empty. They've shut everything down, just like they shut down the rest of the economy. But hospital employees and doctors – I mean, I have friends who are doctors. They're not working now because – elective procedures have been shut down that's right uh, they may be a you know a, a, a joint replacement surgeon or something like that their hours have been and income has been cut dramatically the nurses are laid off it's so because they're focusing everything on this whether they should or not is is a, a secondary issue the fact of the matter is that they are and in places where it breaks out it does seem to impact the uh, acute care and intensive care side. But then they're also, I think, finding that maybe putting people on ventilators is not the best thing. Maybe Mm -hmm. we should just – I I use a CPAP machine, um, and I got a notice from my CPAP supplier that there's there's a shortage of CPAP supplies because hospitals are directing those to help people that are suffering from this. When they get really sick from this COVID thing, they can use the CPAP machine and extra oxygen rather than a ventilator. Which are putting people on a ventilator, you know, it's some people who've been through it. They say I went through it once, and now I've signed a, a DNR, do not resuscitate order, because I don't want to go through that again. They mm. essentially have to paralyze you and put you under anesthesia, and you can't. A, it's it's brutal. Wow. So, but and so they're developing different techniques. I think social distancing might actually be working to help s- stem the spread. But then you have these weird outliers, like there's been a big outbreak in the Navajo Indian Reservation, which is about as rural, spread out as you can get in the desert southwest. So um, very difficult issues. I I do think that we're going to, you know, they're going to start to open things back up, and then we'll see whether um, it was a good idea to shut it down or not.
1: Uh, John, um, a lot of people made a comparison um with the United States to Italy, which is almost so far from common sense and bordering on sa- insanity. Um, but going back to the initial panic, I'm I'm trying to remember this timeline when we first got the first case around January 20th in the United States, and um, some of the first things to go, the media were, were started trumpeting the panic, and some of the first things to go were sports, the NBA. Um, They shut down movie theaters, Hollywood productions, major concerts. Uh, Then the airlines, little by little, the travel industry, tourism as a whole. We didn't really talk a lot about the food chain yet. Uh, Uh, If you could kind of uh, give us some bullet points on that, it's fascinating.
2: Here's a good example Disney World gets over a million visitors per week, Uh, they have 40 some thousand employees. Well, now they're complete. This is just Disney World in Florida. Okay. So now there's you know, the million plus the 40,000 that show up for work every day or whatever the average is. So you're talking a lot of people that got to eat. So that requires a lot of food. So they buy things in big bulk. We have a restaurant supply store near us. And you go over there and they have, you know, a package of 20 pounds of cheese. I don't buy 20 pounds of cheese for a household of two. <laughs> so what happens is, although, you know, when I think about it, it might be not a bad idea, but, <laughs> um, but all that production that goes to the restaurant supplies, which are much bigger packaging, uh, milk. I mean, we've shut down all the schools in the country for the most part, and kids drink milk at school. Um, I can't remember the last time I actually sat down and had a glass of milk. Uh, but I did when I was in school. Well, all that all that production, it's, it's hard to shift. We have a situation now where where people are... Like local grocery uh, or local restaurants are selling groceries. You know, they're selling like uh, restaurant uh, meal kits and that type of thing. So they're adjusting. But doing that on a massive countrywide scale just doesn't happen. So as a result, they're plowing under green beets, They're throwing mm. vegetables away at farms in Florida that we're selling to Disney World and all the parks in the Orlando area. I think eventually they will shift. But then we also have a problem like uh, there are a number of meat processing plants where there have been COVID-19 outbreaks and they've shut down. Mm. This is going to further disrupt the supply chain. There's a big Smithfield plant, which I, I think Smithfield is owned by a Chinese company now. But in South Dakota, where there hasn't been a big outbreak, they had a big outbreak in that plant and they shut the plant down. I think it's maybe the largest Pork processing plant in the world. Wow, that's going to ripple through the economy at some point. So I, I think, regardless of what your position is on this, you people need to exercise some um, wisdom and stock up a little bit. You don't have to go crazy, but buy a little bit extra. And you're going to you're going to see them though start limiting what you can buy at a store. Like mm-hmm. you can have one pack of pork chops. Uh, or you can have a pack of pork ribs, but you can't have both. Wow! And and, and that's going to happen because there are meat processing plants shutting down mm-hmm. everywhere. So I I don't know the you know the restaurant thing. I don't know. Somebody said nine out of ten restaurants would uh, would come back open. I, I who knows? I think that's pretty optimistic at this point. I do not think that there is any easy path back economically i've seen things the central banks of the world are buying up everything they're giving guaranteed payments to people in their societies and we really haven't seen it break out at least we don't have good reports of it breaking out that much in the third world although i saw um, some video footage of food riots in uh... in um, either nigeria or kenya uh, because there's some food shortage. And then you layer on top of that, while all this is going on, you have these locust outbreaks all over Africa and the Middle East. Uh, there a big article in the Financial Times yesterday that the crops that are ready for harvest in southern Europe are rotting in the field. Why? Because they can't get the migrant workers there that they usually use to harvest the stuff. Because mm-hmm. everything is shut down. Well, you lose a harvest in Southern Europe. What do you think that the impact of, is that going to be on the food supply chain in Europe and elsewhere that gets that food? Uh, we had bad years. I mean, I don't know what it was like up in Wisconsin last year, but I would say Ohio corn production was fifty percent last year of what it normally is because of wet conditions. Hmm. That that's going to cause that uh, that you know we're, that's probably layered on top of this thing that we see. I'm just saying is what I see is I see this kind of convergence of of a perfect storm of things. And as one who talks about Bible prophecy a lot, one of the things I've talked about for years is the convergence of events. Used to talk about something that might be relevant to the unfolding of Bible prophecy, might have one or two stories in a week. Now I can stand up there and I can go an hour and 45 minutes without... You know, looking at my notes or do yeah. an hour interview with you, with just sort of talking off the top of my head. So we are seeing this. We're seeing this convergence of events. Then you have so whether it's real or not, it's a problem. It's perceived by people in power as a problem, and then you layer on top of that people coming in with their globalist agenda. I don't know if you've seen that website at the World Economic Forum. Uh, Strategic intelligence. I think if you go to intelligence.weforum.org, you will see um, like this big spoken wheel. It's it's really one of the most incredibly designed websites that I've ever seen. And my understanding is uh, that it's built a lot with uh, sort of dynamic links and artificial intelligence is used because you click on, I've clicked on hundreds of links on this thing, and every one of them works. That's very unusual on websites. (laughs) And and they have this whole big they have like 18 different categories of things with all these think tank papers and analysis. And they have one now for covid-19. That one's not behind a paywall or a registration wall. And you can look at that one and it, it strangely sort of looks like the coronavirus the way it's the spoken wheel.
1: Thing. Yeah, I've seen it.
2: But uh, – and they have things there like global governance and that type of thing, and they even talk – there's other places to talk about religion, and this has been a long concern of mine. We have free exercise of religion in the United States. Right? Um, yes. Attorney General Barr is coming out to support that. Uh, he's taking on some of these ridiculous mayors and governors who are just shutting down everything, even drive-in services. It, you know, so he he's saying, no, wait, but you can't do that. We do have a constitution, so – Praise the Lord for Attorney General Barr that he's doing this uh, because I think he's trying to bring some balance to the situation. Yes. But in the U.N. Charter of Human Rights and what they're doing in Europe is you have the right to freedom of belief. That's a very different thing than free exercise of religion. Mm, yeah. and so what people are trying to do is they're trying to take that freedom of belief, which is really a restriction on your freedom of religion, regardless of what they say, and trying to import that into the United States. And we have a whole party that's probably dedicated to doing that. So um, it's. I guess what I'm trying to say is, as you've seen, we've kind of bounced from this to this to this to this to this to this, to this today. Yes, we have. That is the way— That's the
1: domino effect.
2: It's going to be mm-hmm. in Bible prophecy. Yes, and you can go, even like in the South China Morning Post last week— they have, you know, I love editorial cartoons. They had an editorial cartoon of the the virus knocking over a factory and then all the other economic dominoes falling behind. It was a very interesting graph. Yeah, I used it in my update last Sunday or the week before. So the dominoes are falling. Um
1: John, I, we're running out of time. Yeah, uh, we. Know
2: how we get it back.
1: There's still so much we have to talk about, so we're going to have to reschedule or rebook you for uh, another uh, podcast. Vaccines, digital ID, there's so much more. Yeah. And we'll uh, talk about that, God willing, next time, but I'll direct people to your weekly prophecy updates. John Haller, Fellowship Bible Chapel. Thank you so much, John. God bless you. Stay safe and healthy, brother. Okay, thanks, David. God bless. Thank you. All right, when we come back uh, tomorrow and the next week,
0: we'll talk a little bit about that. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth.
1: So much to talk about, so little time. Tomorrow we are going to catch up with headlines, news, and commentary. A lot. Dozens and dozens and dozens of stories to talk about. And uh, yeah, Monday we're going to talk about that uh, ID 2020, the digital ID. What is the mark of the beast? Is it uh, going to happen in, in uh, in the very near future? We'll talk about that. But i got to let you go. We just spent uh, the hour talking about so many different topics with John Haller. Share our our podcast on social media, please. We appreciate you guys. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.